Chapter 7, Part 2 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. The Slabervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, Part 2 Return to England, 1869. When the London School of Medicine for Women was established, I hastened my return and accepted the chair of gynecology in the college. In my lodgings in Dorset Square, I again suffered from atrocious biliary colic, which the able physicians whom I consulted were unable to relieve, finished my course of lectures with extreme difficulty, and came to the conclusion, with bitter disappointment, that any future residence in London, under my circumstances, must be given up. The winters of 1876 to 1878 were spent chiefly at Bordighera and in Nice. An episode there is worth recording. My enlarging experience in various countries in respect to the relations between men and women, the customs, the diseases, the social disaster springing from errors as to human physiology and neglect in education with regard to the most important functions, showed me the imperative work which devolved upon the physician in this matter. I realized that the mind cannot be separated from the body in any profound view of the scope of medical responsibility. Under the olive trees of Bordighera, and sitting by its lovely blue sea, I meditated on the duty of the physician, and finally wrote the small work, Counsel to Parents on the Moral Education of Their Children. So little at that time was the importance of sexual education understood, and the necessity of its consideration accepted, that when I read my manuscript to a warm and enlightened English friend staying at Mentone, she assured me that if I published that manuscript, my name would be a forbidden word in England. I sent the manuscript, however, to about twelve of the leading London publishers who all declined the publication. I therefore printed a small edition myself, which a bookseller consented to keep on sale. A copy of this little book fell under the notice of Miss Elise Hopkins, who, considering that it would be useful in the special work in which she was engaged, induced Mr. Hudson, the then acting member of the firm of Hatchard and Company, to reconsider the matter and publish the book for her use. The arrangement was made, and the book printed. But soon after, I received a letter saying that though the firm had never yet broken faith with an author, yet they feared they must do so now. For the senior member of the firm, Bishop Hatchard's widow, had seen the proof of the book, thrown it into the fire, and desired that its publication should be stopped. Finally, a little consultation of elderly clergymen was called to consider the subject, and it was at last resolved that if the name of the work could be changed, 
and the distinct announcement made in the title that it was a medical as well as a moral work, the publication might be continued. Of course, the change was made, and counsel to parents became the moral education of the young considered under medical and social aspects. I mention this curious experience as an encouragement to those who are engaged in all branches of moral work. Public sentiment has advanced since 1876. Looking now at the very reticent way in which the subject is treated in this little book, it is difficult to believe that such an episode could have occurred. It has become clear to me that our medical profession has not yet fully realized the special and weighty responsibility which rests upon it to watch over the cradle of the race, to see that human beings are well-born, well-nourished, and well-educated. The onward impulse to this great work would seem to be especially incumbent upon women physicians, who for the first time are beginning to realize the all-important character of parentage in its influence upon the adult as well as on the child, i.e. on the race. To every woman, as well as to every man, the responsible function of parentage is delegated. Our nature is dwarfed or degraded if the growth which should be attained by the exercise of parentage directly or potentially be either avoided or perverted. The physician knows that the natural family group is the first essential element of a progressive society. The degeneration of that element by the degradation of either of its two essential factors, the man or the woman, begins the ruin of a state. It is a source of deep gratitude in a long medical life to have been enabled by physiological knowledge, as well as experience, to perceive the true point of view from which the special nature of man and woman must be regarded. It is well worth the efforts of a lifetime to have attained knowledge which justifies an attack on the root of all evil, viz. the deadly atheism which asserts that because forms of evil have always existed in society, therefore they must always exist, and that the attainment of a high ideal is a hopeless chimera. The study of human nature by women as well as men commences that new and hopeful era of the intelligent cooperation of the sexes through which alone real progress can be attained and secured. We may look forward with hope to the future influence of Christian women physicians when with sympathy and reverence guiding intellectual activity they learn to apply the vital principles of their great master to every method and practice of the healing art. End of chapter 7